And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, your Virginia Tech football beat writer. And what a week it's been on the Hokies beat here. It finally happened. Justin Fuente is out at Virginia Tech after six years. He went 43 and 31 with the Hokies, just 24 and 23 the last four years. Uh, that included a 21 and 23 mark against FBS competition. Uh, this was termed as a mutually parting of ways. That is the phrasing that they use. That was a negotiated buyout uh, down from $10 million to be paid out over three years to 8.75 in a lump sum. Basically, this was a firing. <laughs> it doesn't matter how they want to phrase it. This was a firing. This was a pairing that uh, just sort of had to be separated at this point. We all knew this was coming. We didn't quite know just when. And it would, well, it looks like this week's guest was booked specifically to talk about Fuente's departure from Virginia Tech. I have to tell you, he was booked on Monday. So this is just fortuitous timing. Uh, we welcome back to the show David Teal, columnist for the Richmond Times Dispatch, longtime columnist in Virginia before that. David, it's only Wednesday, but what a week. How, how do you like that Tuesday morning wake up call, huh? I was going to say, Andy, have you slept much in the last oh, 36 hours? I see you taking a sip of your, I'm presuming that's caffeine in that cup. Oh, this is just water. This is, I'm still at the tail end of a cough. I'm trying okay. to get rid of it. Uh, you'll probably hear it throughout this podcast at times, but uh, actually, I slept pretty well last night. Uh, you know, I got all my writing done by four o'clock. I think I went through the Whit Babcock press conference and wrote something right. about that. I had written a big Fuente piece that we sort of had pieced together already. I'd written the breaking yeah. news before that. We had Bruce Feldman and Chris Benini doing their candidates list. <clears throat> so I finished that. I did three radio shows between four o'clock and five thirty, and it was kind of done. Like this yeah. is this is no longer hanging over my head when this <laughs> is going to be happened. I can actually enjoy Thanksgiving week here. Uh, you know, I was I was kind of glad this came to a finale finally. I was too, and you know, full disclosure, you were talking about Thanksgiving week, and I don't mean to make light of Justin Fuente and his staff and uprooting of their families, but we have a family photo shoot scheduled for the sun, the day after the Commonwealth Cup game. Oh, that would have been a nervous time. Right, and, and I was t I was telling my wife, sweetie, how much are you going to hate me if I have to duck out of this thing? And she's like, no, 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 you're not ducking out of this thing. Listen, Photoshop technology is to the point where you don't need to be in this. We can just put you in digitally. There this could go. have been solved very easily. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think everybody saw this coming. This has been hanging yeah. over the program 
uh, for years. This was once hailed as the perfect marriage by you and me. Everybody, everybody thought this. This is a a home run hire when it happened. Whit Babcock, the athletic director there, was lauded for this hire. He outfoxed everybody else to get Justin Fuente. He kept Bud Foster in the fold. The first two years, this was sort of a blueprint for how you follow a legend. Everything was going right. And then suddenly it just didn't. What happened? Wait, what do we? What's the biggest thing here that went wrong? Well, Andy, if you know, in hindsight, even if you look back at that first season, Coastal Division title, ACC Coach of the Year, take the eventual national champion Clemson to the wire in the ACC championship game. I think back to mid-November at Lane Stadium against Georgia Tech. And the Hokies have a chance to clinch the Coastal. There's ACC officials there to give them the trophy. Tech, Virginia Tech is a 14-point favorite. Georgia Tech is starting a backup quarterback and four freshmen on the offensive line. And the Hokies lose. And that was kind of a of a foreshadowing of the entire Fuente era. Just this incredible inconsistency. Open 2018 by winning at Florida State. Three weeks later, lose at 0-3 Old Dominion, an Old Dominion team that finished last in its division in Conference USA that season. No matter how well-regarded the Hokies ever got, they never could seem to stand prosperity. And that, that was the first reason that Whit Babcock cited yesterday for the, for the termination inconsistency. Yeah, it was pretty rough uh, for a while there. And this was a program where it felt like, felt like every step forward always met with either one step or two steps back. They could just never build on any kind of success. And, and that's a tough thing for a program sometimes is to learn how to live with success. And Virginia Tech did for the longest time, but honestly, for the last decade has not. This wasn't no. necessarily a problem that was new for Virginia Tech under Justin Fuente. It was like that for the final four years of the Frank Beamer era. But Fuente was hired to change that, and he didn't. And six years in, I don't think they really had any choice here. I look at his time here, and I think I point to a couple of things that stand out. The recruiting really had lag, certainly in-state. You know, I think the perception outweighed the reality of this whole push into Texas. You know, they've really only gotten a few guys from Texas, but it be- became this whole thing online, this Texas yeah. to VT, and you, you, you never heard the end of it. And I did this Virginia Recruiting Confidential for The Athletic a, a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, I should say. And a lot of high school coaches still take that to heart. They are still angry about that. There was not a, a ton of outreach between this staff, particularly Fuente, and in-state guys, and if you're not winning the in-state battles, I'm not saying you have to get all the top guys here, but if you're not winning the home state and the hearts and minds of Virginia, you're sort of behind the eight ball on that whole thing. So I think that's one thing. I, You know, you mentioned the inconsistency. I think there's been inconsistency within his staff, yeah. too. And, uh, you know, it was the perfect setup with Bud Foster originally, and then by 2018, this defense was not the same. 
and the defensive talent on that side dried up. I think Bud Foster was in a different stage of his career. He had some health issues. You know, he became a grandfather. He, he was divorced and remarried. I don't think that, you know, I'm spilling any inside information out here. This oh. is pretty public stuff that he had. Uh, so that's sort of like a key guy that he had as his like number two or, or a guy that he could lean on in the staff. But then you look at Galen Scott comes with him from Memphis has to get rid of him with, with this extramarital affair that spilled out into the public. It became an embarrassment for the school. Uh, some hires Tyrone Nix and, and Tracy Clays were supposed to be these veteran guys. They could lean on. Couldn't do that. They, they're just poor fits here. Jerry kill was here for one year moves on. He just never seemed to have that guy that he could go to when things got rough here. And I think maybe that added to the inconsistent. You look at Frank Beaver. He had, People, loyal assistants everywhere yes. across the board, whether it was Bud Foster, Mike Gentry, uh, John Boleyn. I mean, just uh, Billy Height was a constant Char- throughout Charlie that. Wiles. Charlie Wiles. I mean, man, consistency and year to year, you knew what you were going to get with that. And that was just never the case here. And I think that spilled over to the team. I mean, six starting quarterbacks in six years. You know, never really had a guy back to back. I think Hennon Hooker was the most. And, and even, even his year last year was disjointed. Uh, running backs. I think they had five or six different leading running backs in the six years he was here. It just never seemed like from year to year, there was any sort of continuity there, especially at the quarterback position where, you know, that first year they had Gerard Evans and he was this record setter. I'm like, they're going to do this every year. This is an offensive, you know, wizard. He's going to find these guys. And he just never did. No, he, he, he never did. And say what you will about Hendon Hooker, perhaps, losing the locker room, losing the faith of his of his coaches with the cult game against Clemson last season. The optics of what Hendon Hooker has done at Tennessee this season, that, that's one jarring part for Hokie Nation. And then you just look east, right, 64, and UVA. Your, your state rival, coached by a defensive guy in Bronco Mendenhall, has two you know, back-to-back superb quarterbacks. First Bryce Perkins, now Brennan Armstrong, who leads the country in total offense. When you said look east, I initially thought you were going to say to Liberty at Malik Willis, a <laughs> former Virginia Tech commitment. Commitment. Who, who uh, flipped to Auburn. And it's not even that. It's, it's when he left Auburn, there was, I think he reached out to Virginia Tech. They just didn't go back to that route. You wonder how different things could be right now here if they had gone back uh, to Malik Willis there. I'm curious, what did you find most striking uh, from yesterday? Uh, just everything that happened, whether it was timing, the interim direction they went, what Whit Babcock said uh, when he spoke to the media. What did you find most interesting there? I, th- I thought Whit, Andy was good when it came to accountability, saying that Justin didn't fail, our team didn't fail, we all did. And I think he's right. Now, whether he's being sincere or not, you know, <laughs> that, that may be up for debate. But I think in a way, the administration failed Justin Fuente simply because you know, as, as, as you have noted and, and, and others, including myself, have noted, Virginia Tech did not fund its football program 
Hold on now. I thought this was a dated and tired narrative, according to Whit Babcock. Yeah, and maybe now in in this fiscal year it is, but for a lion's share of Justin Fuente's tenure, it wasn't a tired narrative. It was reality. And that's what Justin Fuente was dealing with. And to everyone's agreement, the facilities were, they've since been up, but the weight room, lack of nutrition center, you know, and outdated meeting rooms and such, their facilities were substandard. That's not on Justin Fuente. No, I agree with you there. And, uh, you know, you look at the assistant salaries, I guess the proof will be here when they make this higher to see how much they devote to that. Because as much as they say they raised the money and they were going to pay more for assistant coaches, they're still lagging compared to their peers right now. So yeah. that'll be something to watch when these contracts come out. Uh, you're right about facilities. I mean, I, I did something over the summer when they were finally able to show off all these new facilities and you know, talking to the uh, player uh, development guy. And he's like, I was embarrassed to bring recruits into these wow. meeting rooms. I mean, they were, they were very dated, uh, sort of a nineties look uh, and these things definitely need to be upgraded. So yeah, I, I, I bristle at wit bristling at the yeah. notion that that was a dated entire narrative, because I think that's very much been the case. And, you know, for as much as people will rag on the Fuente era, I think what will come out of this is somebody else sort of push this to get better and people will go back to that Baylor thing when he interviewed there and they go, Oh my gosh, no loyalty here. It's like, well, that is going to result in some better things for what this next coach is going to have here, more funding for assistant coaches and support staff, something that Fuente battled uh, for a lot of the time here. So, you know, I, I think right now everybody's got their knives out with Justin Fuente is like, Oh my gosh, absolute failure. And then you, the people that were sort of biting their tongues for the longest time are, are having their moment right now. But I think in the long run, Virginia tech will be better off with some of the things that he pushed for, for this program and got them. So, you know, if we've talked this long and all anybody wants to hear about are the candidates, that's, that's anything I write. It's like, who are the candidates? Who are they going to hire? And I, you know, I really hate putting together candidates lists. I'm glad we have Chris Benini and Bruce Feldman here to do it. They were on top of it right away and had lists ready to go. There you go. I don't have to do it. Who makes sense in your eyes for this job? Dave Clawson is the first name that, that comes to mind. Now, whether he would have a scintilla of interest, I, I do know. And he may be too hot right now. Right. I mean, the, the Deacons are just having a little too good of a season, perhaps for, for him to consider a move, especially within the conference. But all the things that Whit Babcock laid out yesterday that they are looking for in the new head coach, Dave Clawson has, he checks all those boxes and then some. And it hasn't just been at Wake Forest. It's been at Fordham and Richmond and Bowling Green. He is accustomed to winning with less. And I think that would be very appealing. Now, again, we since Wake is a private school, we don't know the terms of his buyout. We know that he makes approximately 
3.6, which I think Virginia Tech could certainly exceed, perhaps by a very good amount. But what would it cost to, to unleash him from his long-term deal in Winston-Salem? Is he a big enough personality? Because we look at the, the Fuente era, mm-hmm. and you know, we like he has a he has a simpler, similar temperament to Frank Beamer. He's not a guy that's flashy and he's out there, but I think there became a key distinction between Frank Beamer, who had a big personality, even if it yeah. wasn't flashy, versus Fuente, who had a limited personality and didn't like to put himself yeah. out there. And when you're in Blacksburg, and, and Whit Babcock mentioned this, you can't be insular in today's age of college athletics. Uh, you need somebody to go out there and sell the program. Does Dave Clawson do that? I mean, he's not a flashy guy, but is he a big enough personality for him? I think he is, Andy. I don't pretend to, to know him well. I've been around him some. I've also watched him with Packer and Durham on the ACC network. He's good in those appearances. I think better than most of his head coaching peers in the league. He engages. They, they get into things other than football. If you ask him about the issues of the day, he has an opinion, and it's a thoughtful one, and it's an insightful one. I, I find that endearing because I love to sit around and, and, and chop up issues of, of the day with, with coaches. See, I, I think he would have the personality for it. I mean, he's done his best with some success, to, to sell it at Wake Forest. I mean, they still struggle to, to sell out the stadium, even as well as they have played this season. But, yeah, I think he'd be up to that. You mentioned Packer and Durham. That was something Fuente never wanted to do. I think he only made one appearance on yeah. there. It sort of speaks to what we're talking about here. Yeah. Some of the other names you see on this list, uh, Billy Napier, Jamie Chadwell, the ones that are everywhere. You wonder if a Clemson coordinator, maybe if this is the year yeah. uh, to do that, where they're not in the national title hunt. Uh, this much I know is that I don't think it's going to leak. Whit Babcock keeps things pretty tight. I mean, when Buzz Williams was the hire after they got rid of James Johnson, the basketball program, that came out of nowhere. And I don't think anybody expected them to pull that. So this is a very competitive market. Um, I'm curious to see uh, the hire that they get here because they have to get this right. I mean, they, they can't uh, continue down this road uh, football-wise. Uh, to turn to this game this week, Virginia Tech at Miami, interim coach J.C. Price for the Hokies going down there. Miami is an eight-point favorite in this game. And I joked earlier on a podcast I did earlier this week that this was a loser leaves town match. And then Virginia tech beat me to the punch and they actually already got rid of their coach. Miami's got some issues of its own here. Uh, an interim, you have interim AD, right? Interim head coach fired AD James Blake. The former players are having like a round table this week to talk about the state of the program. Like nothing good can come out of this. There's no, there's no program out there. Whose former players are more of a pain than the University of Miami. Uh, Miami's coming off a tough loose loss to, to Florida State. I mean, is Manny Diaz going to be safe here? It seems like this might be just a, a prelude to, to him being on the way out too. Yeah, I absolutely believe it is prelude. And absent the, the, the her, maybe even two win, maybe even beating Virginia Tech and Duke won't be enough to, to save Manny Diaz because they're – appears to be enough irritation among those alums that you speak of, especially the former players, that they are clamoring for change. I have 
no idea what to expect from the hurricanes, Saturday, especially after what happened in Tallahassee, to, to squander that away late the way they did. I think J.C. Price, however, I think that's a pretty inspired choice as the interim. You and I have, have talked about this just over text and, and over dinner before when we wondered if they had to go the interim route, who would they promote? And Brad Cornelson seemed to be a non-starter just because there's always so much swirling around him and his play calling. You know, Justin Hamilton really getting his feet wet as a defensive coordinator. This way, you, you keep the coordinators in place. J.C. Price is a, is a hokey. Seems to be popular with, with the players. He coaches a, a position where he has a co-coach in Bill Tierlink. So I, I think the, the Hokies have played, in my mind, fairly inspired football, regardless of results, for most of the season. I expect the same Saturday night. Yeah, I, I'm kind of kicking myself for not recognizing this. It's like, well, they have one position where they have two coaches. Maybe that would make sense if one of those guys is the interim coach. Uh, I'm angry I didn't figure that out. Yeah, I'm looking at this as two teams that are hit or miss, and you don't know what you're going to get from week to week. And I don't know if I feel comfortable taking a team uh, that's given eight points uh, in that situation. Miami, a team that's favored by eight points. All right, let's turn to some actual good teams in the (laughs) ACC here. We've been talking about teams that either have gotten rid of their coach or probably are going to get rid of their coach. There's some big games this weekend. Wake Forest at Clemson, the first one. The Tigers are four and a half point favorites Mm -hmm. in this game at home. People just can't seem to quit Clemson on the betting markets even though every other thing would suggest that this is probably the year that Wake Forest can get up. Wake Forest beat NC State last week, 45 to 42. They took firm control of the Atlantic. One more win, they win the division. Uh, just People just can't stop believing that somehow Clemson is going to magically figure this thing out. I mean, they beat UConn last week. whoop de doo Everybody beats UConn. DJ Uyunglele didn't have a great game, 241 yards passing, still 5.5 yards per attempt, just not an explosive offense they have here. What do you see in this one? Because I, I see a really tough time for Clemson. That Man, I'd probably jump on Wake Forest on this one just because I don't think they faced an offense that good, and I don't trust Clemson to score points. Well, I know they haven't faced an offense as, as good as Wake. So we're talking about the number two scoring offense in the country behind Ohio State. Well, they did play Pitt. Pitt's a pretty good yeah, offense. So true. You could argue. Is, you could argue it. This is the only team in the country that has scored at least 35 points in every game. I mean, they're really good, and man, are they fun to watch having seen them in person pretty much dismantle UVA in Charlottesville. I understand why the Tigers are four and a half point favorites for two reasons. One, they have the nation's longest home field winning streak, 33 games. Two, Clemson has beaten Wake Forest 12 consecutive years, and the average margin is 29 points. Even recently, when Wake has been good, now granted, Clemson has been great, but good Wake Forest teams have not been remotely competitive against Clemson. So I I think that's what is, is driving the betting line. I think Aaron McFarlane is rubbing off on you here with these trends, <laughs> these historical trends that you're pointing out. I, my response to that would be, 
uh, you know, to channel my inner Rick Patino here and say, Deshaun Watson's not walking through that, walking door. Through that door. Trevor Lawrence is not walking through that door. Uh, yeah, it's just not the same offense. I mean, we, we talk about Clemson uh, historically and how great they've been in this series, but man, this is just a different Clemson team. I realize that defense is still really, really good. But they're banged and, up too. Yeah, they're banged up. They've lost a lot of guys there. I just... If you're playing in a game like this where the other team can score points, and I think Wake Forest will be able to score on this Clemson defense, I just find it tough to see the Tigers keeping up in this one. So, yeah, I pro- I take Wake Forest on the money line on this one. I, I kind of like the Deeks. I think this is their year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Clawson, obviously, I mean, a very veteran team. Everybody's sort of been you know, going to this singular moment in this game. And man, what a way that for Wake Forest, if they could win this at yeah, Clemson, to, dethrone to Clemson it. and to yes. clinch it down there, that'd be pretty impressive. It, it really would be, Andy. And I talked to Dave Clawson about three weeks ago for a story on you know, kind of how he has built this thing at, at Wake and, and, the, and the year that they're having. And he talked about a couple of years ago when they found themselves, I think it was seven and one overall ranked in the initial top 25 by the CFP and they couldn't finish the deal. And that included coming to Blacksburg and getting spanked by Virginia tech. And he said, this team has vowed not happening again. We are not, and there are a lot of guys who are on that team still in that locker room. And they have promised one another, we're going to finish this thing off. Well, it'll be interesting to see that if they could do that, be a heck of a place to be able to celebrate uh, in Death Valley like that. The other one, we flip over to the coastal division here. Uh, the other big game this week is one you'll be at uh, Virginia at Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh is 14 and a half point favorites in this game. That line tells me that people do not think that Brennan Armstrong will be playing in this game. Uh, I'll be honest. I've been in this Virginia tech bunker for the last 24 hours. I have not paid attention to what the latest news is on Brennan Armstrong. You, you covered them last week against Notre Dame. They, they struggled offensively with Jay Wolfick in the, in the game at quarterback there losing 28 to three. Uh, do you think Armstrong will be back for this game? Uh, and if so, what would that do for UVA? Well, you haven't missed any news about Brennan Armstrong. That's okay. What was it? He went from day to day to hour to hour. hour? To hour. Yeah, yeah. Bronco, you're just asking for reporters to ask you every hour now how he's doing. <laughs> well, since Bronco's only available on Monday, although full disclosure, we'll, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday evening, he does his radio show up in Charlottesville at one of the restaurants up there. I'm sure he'll be asked about it again then, and he will again be evasive. My my suspicion is, Andy, that he won't play. Selfishly, I sure hope he does, because you're talking about Brandon Armstrong leads the country in total offense. Kenny Pickett is number three. Put him on the same field. The winner's the ACC first team quarterback and probably the player of the year. Sam Hartman has something to say about this right here, Teal. Come he, on he, now. He does. So, yeah, I think we're both probably. I mean, I, I look at that line. Vegas usually yeah. knows 
14 and a half. I think if, if Armstrong's playing, uh, that's maybe closer to a touchdown. I don't know if it moved that much, but it'd be, it'd be closer like that. You know, Pitt, meanwhile, it's all there for them. I mean, this, we, we could, this is antithetical to coastal chaos. This could be pretty orderly if Pitt just wins this thing here and claims the division. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pitt almost pulled a pit last week, though, against UNC. Uh, looked up pretty comfortably in that game. Got taken to overtime after UNC couldn't punch it in. Uh, at the very end of the game, I think Mac Brown regrets not doing that. Then this fortuitous rainstorm, you know, UNC wins the toss and goes on defense. I, be- I believe they win the- won the toss yes. uh, and Pitt goes down and scores. And then the-, the heavens just open up outside and you go, wow, this is Pitt's year because, you know, that was a dangerous UNC offense and they just couldn't do anything at that point. And then obviously Pitt survives 30 to 23, uh, you know, I, I, we don't feel like Pitt's going to pull a pit here in this game with UVA, right? I mean, it, I saw that offense last week with Jay Wolfuck, and they couldn't do anything really offensively no. against Notre Dame. This could be uh, an ugly one if Armstrong can't go. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they ended up with 275, 280 yards against Notre Dame. They were averaging better than 540 a game. I mean, they they had nothing. Jay Wolfolk was sacked seven times uh, in large measure because he often held the ball too long because he's he's a freshman. He can't right. those things as quickly as as an upperclassman. He and he is a true freshman, the, the first to start a quarterback for UVA since 1977. Oof. Long time ago. That is a stat there. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it looks like we're heading towards a Wake Forest Pitt ACC title game. This is maybe not the branding uh, kind of thing that you would want a market a nightmare for a marketer in this kind of game. These are not named programs, but man, that could be a fun game. Like this is like a reminder of like an old Big Twelve shootout uh, title game or something like that, where they're just going up and down the field, like. I know we kind of joke about, oh, Pitt, Wake Forest, who wants to watch that? It's like, I want to watch that. That would be such a great yes. game. No, I think it would be fabulous. I, th- I think the, the winner would certainly be in the 40s, and maybe the loser would be a, a, as well. Might be like that North Carolina Clemson ACC championship game that was high scoring and, and came down to an onside kick at the end that the Tar Heels weren't quite able to recover. No, I'd, I'd be all about Clemson Wake, or excuse me, Wake Forest Pitt. Force of habit, Clemson. And yes, the I, know. Let's, I, I think for all of our sake, let's hope that ends this year, just to have a little bit of variety there. I want to turn to the rest of the games this week because we like to hit on every team or every game sure. of the week on this thing. Uh, start off with a Thursday night game. Louisville is a 19 and a half point favorite at Duke. Uh, I don't think there's much to say about this matchup. Uh, I, you know, I think Louisville's come on strong a little bit. Uh, they crushed Syracuse last week. A result I did not see coming as somebody who bet on Syracuse in that game. <laughs> it was over the first quarter. Uh, you know, they, they have three losses, Wake Forest, UVA, and Clemson by a total of 10 points. I mean, it feels like this game is close. You could get to seven to five, uh, a pretty successful season here if they beat Duke and Kentucky at the end of the year. I think my bigger question is about Duke. Is, is it time? With David Cutcliffe, I, I keep asking this every week, and I mean they're zero and six in the ACC this year, one and fifteen in the league, uh, the last two years. It, what what do they have going for them right now? I mean, you, you don't want to like push aside somebody who's been so instrumental for the program like that, but man, it feels like it just might be time. 
Yeah, that, I think there needs to be some self-awareness there in, in the program at, at Duke, Andy. You mentioned 0-6 in the league. I believe five of those losses have been by at least 20 points. 25, I think, yeah. Okay, yeah, they are not remotely competitive. You, you, you saw uh, uh, last week. Right. Uh, up close and personal. That, that game was not remotely competitive. First time Virginia Tech's gotten 500 yards since when? The ODU loss in 2018. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe that's not the like best stat to put for offensive success if it goes back to the, <laughs> one of the most infamous losses in Virginia Tech history is the last time they did that. I think it was a streak of 43 games yeah. since they had uh, had 500 yards. But they did it against this Duke team. They did it pretty easily against them, too. Yeah, And, and speaking of that... <clears throat> Oh, do you lost not to, to, to go back to, to the Hokies too quickly, but you know where the new Virginia Tech coach will make his debut next season. Scene of the crime going back there. Norfolk, Virginia. I would advise this new coach not to lose that game. That would get uh, get things off on a bad foot. Uh, Florida State at Boston College. Boston College is a one and a half point favorite in this game. All of a sudden, this game is sort of interesting to me. Uh, the way the season was going when Florida State stunk and Phil Dracovic wasn't out there, I'm like, I don't care about this game. But now Dracovic is back, and BC has won two in a row with him. He looked a lot better last week against Georgia Tech. They win that game 41-30. to 30. He threw for 310 and two just, touchdowns. I think 13 completions, maybe? I, yeah, I mean, he averaged like 26-27 a, a completion. That is a, a totally different team. When he's there, and I guess, where do you think BC would be if Dracovic was healthy all season? Wow, what a great number one! That's a great question, and I've thought about this: if Wake Forest doesn't get it done Saturday in Death Valley, tough game coming up, you know, at 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 BC, and if and if Dracovic wins in this week, and all of a sudden BC's on a roll with, with three straight. That could be some cause for tension in Winston-Salem. Yeah, I I don't know if we're talking about BC as like the Atlantic Division winner, but certainly there was a a couple games in there where they just couldn't do anything offensively. And obviously you lose your best NFL talent quarterback on there. That's going to make a huge difference. What about Florida State? I mean, this team beat Miami last week, 31-28. If there's a program that needed that, a coach that needed that, Mike Norvell, Definitely, it was their first win against Miami since 2016. They lost by 42 to them last year, 59 point margin the last two years before that. FSU is four and six, and they have to beat BC and Florida to get bowl eligible. And all of a sudden, who would have thought like Florida is the easier game of these two? Uh, all of a sudden, uh, do you think the Knowles have any shot of getting to a bowl game this year? And if they do, I feel like that's a pretty good job by by Mike Norvell. I think it's a great job if, if they can get to six because we all looked at their schedule b- before the season and thought, oh, you know, this, this is going to be hard. You know, you're opening against Notre Dame. And you have to play, of course, Florida. They had another difficult non-conference game in there. I, I forget who, who it was against. And, you know, you have to play Clemson every year. And, and Miami, which was the, you know, the number two team in, in preseason in the Coastal. I think six and six would be victory for the Seminoles. And it might spell curtains for Dan Mullen in Florida 
if Florida State beats the Gators. Who would have thought, like, the way this season started, you know, we're talking about Manny Diaz possibly getting fired, Dan Mullen might be on his way out, that Mike Norvell would be the the safest (laughs) of the major Florida schools at this point. I mean, what a turnaround there. Uh, You know, I I don't think he's quite turned the corner there yet on safe footing, but... I think they've made progress, and I think that's what you like to see out of Florida State. I kind of think BC is going to win the game. Yeah, I think so, too. I like one and a half. I think the way that they played last week, playing at home, Dracovic's got his legs under him. He didn't look like himself in that game against Virginia Tech. You could tell he was rusty. I think he got a little bit of it back last week against Georgia Tech. Yeah, I would definitely be on BC's side on that one. Uh, Wofford at UNC, I don't think we need to talk about that one. UNC will get both eligible with a win here. This week, I did see that Mac Brown had to address retirement rumors uh, recently. There's, there's making the rounds. He said these are just opposing coaches that are just putting this out there, trying to hurt our recruiting. Uh, you know, which happens. You know, I, I don't deny that's going to happen. But he is seventy. This has been a rough year. I mean, this is the problem that you face when you have, uh, you know, a septuagenarian coach like this. That you're going to have these questions about how long is he going to do it. Do you think he's in it for uh, a few more years at least? I mean, it, I feel like every year this question is going to come up. I think it is too. And I don't know about a, a few more years. You know, people have asked me before, do you think North Carolina is poised to dominate the coastal division for an extended period of time, given how well Mac Brown is recruited? And my answer, my stock answer has been no, simply because I don't foresee him coaching that much longer. Just just the odds. You just don't see it very often. Well, they've disappointed this year. Oh. I mean, it, I mean, I know Virginia Tech just got rid of its coach, but isn't North Carolina a bigger disappointment this year? Yeah. I mean, we all they were the the pick to win the coastal division. They're uh five and five, I believe, right now. Just did yeah. you know didn't, didn't play well. The, yeah. Didn't play well in any of their big games. I mean, I think we keep hearing about oh, North Carolina is this sleeping giant and all this talent they've accumulated. It just hasn't shown up on the field and hasn't really for 40 years. I mean, we all the time we feel like we talk ourselves in the tar heels. And I know they made the ACC title game. Uh I forget what year it was, but a few years ago. But other than that, the success has been few and far between, at least for any long stretch of time. No, no question. You know, you go back to the two great years that, that Mac had back to back that got him the Texas job. And other, otherwise, yeah, I mean, we're talking about 1981, the last time they, they won the league with LT playing linebacker. And I'll ask you this. We, we both listened to Whit Babcock pitch the Virginia Tech job yesterday, essentially to prospective candidates. Is Virginia Tech not the best job in the Coastal? It's There's an argument for it. I mean, it depends on how you want to view Miami. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of drawbacks to Miami, but there's also you are just knee-deep in football talent down there. Right. You don't have to get on a plane to recruit a national championship roster at Miami. And I think that's enticing to a lot of coaches that will overlook some of the non-alignment in their administration and, you know, some of the facilities, things that they have. I mean, they play at a pro stadium that's 25 miles, whatever it is from the campus. It's tough to have a sort of an atmosphere up there, but man, if I'm a coach and I'm like, 
I, I don't have to go north of Tampa to find a national championship roster here. Like, I feel like that would be pretty enticing. But I, I do think Virginia Tech is a better job than North Carolina just because yes. football is prized here. Uh, yes. I say here, I, I'm in the Blacksburg area. It's prized more with the Hokies than it is with the Tar Heels, where you're always going to be a distant second to basketball. And that's just plain and simple right there. Yeah, as well, it should be. All right, turn to the next game. Syracuse at NC State. NC State is an 11-point favorite in this game. The Wolfpack are still technically alive for the Atlantic mm-hmm. Division here. They have to, to win out. I believe they have to hope that Wake Forest loses out, and then they would win some sort of convoluted tiebreaker uh, like that. If you're Dave Doran, are you kicking yourself right now? I mean, this was the year. Yeah. This is when Clemson fell off. You get uh, Wake Forest last week. I, I believe that was in Winston-Salem, correct? It was. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they lose the, the score was, I think, flipped from what it was last year or very close to what the score was last year with those games. Uh, man, that's tough. If you're, if you're the Wolfpack, it's like, man, this was the year and you have these injuries on defense that just kept accumulating. Uh, feels like this is one that they'll look back on and go missed opportunity. Yeah. And, and, and I think the, you know, the, the real missed opportunity, they'd have a little more wiggle room and they not lost to Miami. Right. I mean that that to me is is the killer one. You you, you can't lose that. Game. You can't, and that was a a tight game. I think it was a one point game. Th- yeah, thirty one thirty, right? Tight game like that. You know, Miami felt like it was on the ropes at that point, and that sort of was the resurgence uh, with the Hurricanes down there. I'm curious with Syracuse, and they have been playing better, and they just had an absolute flop at Louisville. Are we sure that Dino Babers is safe here? Uh, not with the way this – they still have to play NC State this week and then Pitt next week. I don't see a win happening in either of those games. That would be another missed bowl season. It's funny because you're talking about Babers, you, and we talked about Fuente so much earlier in the in the podcast, that 2015 – you know, end of the 2015 season, mm-hmm. 2016 coaching cycle in the ACC was Fuente, Mark Rick, Dino Babers, and Bronco Mendenhall. Mm-hmm. And the coach that went 2-10 and ten in his first year is the one that's sitting pretty out of that group and looks like he's on the most solid footing. Like, I, I feel like at different parts of, of uh, since those guys were hired, like that first year it was Fuente. Fuente was the obvious best hire of that group. Then Rick gets the team up to... You know, top 10 uh, in the country on beaten deep in the season, then they fall off. That falls apart. But he was the hot hire out of that for a while. Then Babers wins 10 games, and he was the hot hire out of that. And now, clearly, at the end of this whole thing, Mendenhall was the big winner of this whole thing. It might be the last one standing if Babers uh, gets it after this season. So yeah. it just goes to show you, you can't, you don't know anything about coaching hires and don't try to judge these guys right after they're hired. Sometimes it takes time. It does. Andy, here's a stat for you. I was looking this up after Virginia tech fired Fuente yesterday. The cycle that you're referring to that late 2015, early 2016 were 10 power five schools that signed coaches to multi-year deals. Baylor hired Jim Grobe on a one-year basis. So I'm not counting that one. But 10, 10 power five schools, including Virginia and Virginia Tech. Of those 10 coaches, only three are still on the job. Ooh. Go Mendenhall, 
Dino Babers, Matt Campbell. Wow. And Matt Campbell, you're probably looking at uh, that's, that's all, due, the, all due respect to Bronco Mendenhall and the job he's done there. But Matt Campbell was the jewel of yes. that coaching class. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty impressive job there with Iowa State. We'll see if he parlays that into a better job. This obviously is a lot of big jobs out there. Uh, certainly a, a tough market if you're an AD uh, trying to compete against people, trying to get somebody. Uh, last game here, uh, Georgia Tech at, at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a 17 and a half point favorite in this game. The ACC didn't really send its best teams up against Notre Dame this year. I mean, Florida oh. State, it, it was a great game in the opener, but Florida State was not good at the time. Virginia Tech got rid of its coach. UNC has been uh, the biggest disappointment of the ACC. UVA Armstrong was hurt. And now this three and seven Georgia Tech team goes up there. Um, man, it just doesn't feel like it's happening with Jeff Collins, does it? They've lost four straight. Coming up on the schedule, number eight, (laughs) at number eight, Notre Dame, at number one, Georgia. Georgia. Woof. I mean, this is most likely going to be a three-nine team again. He's won three games. Jeff Collins, that is, has won three games every year at Georgia Tech. And I realize this was such a huge undertaking to replace an option coach and Paul Johnson and, and refigure the roster like that. But where is the progress with the school, what do you point to right now? If you're Georgia Tech, it seems tough. It seems really difficult now. Todd Sansbury, the AD down there, did talk to our friend Ken Segura from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution recently and said, you know, he believes in Jeff Collins and Collins and the staff will be back next season. At least I, I don't know that he used those exact words, but that was certainly the impression that he left. But, heck, you and I were both there in Atlanta the day Virginia Tech went in there. There's no juice in the stadium now. Granted, George was playing the, the, the cocktail party game against the Gators. The Braves were in the World Series. A bit of a draw the Braves were at that time. Yeah. But for that, it was a new kick, too. Yeah, new, new kick at, at Cranfield and – it was lifeless. Yeah, pretty rough. I'm curious, like Collins has tried to make that the University of Atlanta, basically try to be the opposite of, you know, Paul Johnson's was we're a system. We're going to recruit to this. It's tough to get people into Georgia Tech. And Collins has really bought into the Atlanta thing. And I just don't know if it's working. And I don't know if it's going to get turned around next year. I mean, I think next year it's got to happen. Yeah. Otherwise, it's probably curtains for Jeff Collins there. Agreed. Well, we've run the gamut here. We've got all the games already, David. I appreciate you coming on the podcast so much. Everybody go follow him at by David Teal on Twitter. Uh, nobody does it better in the ACC. We appreciate your insight on the podcast, David. Thanks, man. I always enjoy our conversations. All right. That's another show in the books. Thanks to everybody for joining us. Please go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We like the five-star ratings. That helps us get the word out on this podcast. Subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen to this podcast ad-free there. You can read all of our great writing in every sport on there. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. See what our best deal is right now. Follow me. I'm on Twitter at AndyBitterVT. We'll be back to do this again next week.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.